verses 9 through 12. God said, The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do me a favor, friends. Pull out your connections journal. It looks like this. It's in your bulletin each week as a guide for your prayer and study. Sunday through Saturday, we hope you'll use it to guide your quiet time with God each day. There are scripture readings, questions for reflection, prayer suggestions each day. I've heard from several of you who said you found it very helpful. I'm encouraged by that. I hope that all of us would be reading and studying the same kinds of things together as we go through our week. So I wonder if this has ever happened to you before. God asks you to do something you don't want to do, or perhaps by your faith you feel compelled to do something, but it's difficult. It's hard. And so instead of just jumping right in, you make excuses. And I heard a couple amens. Anybody else? Yeah? Okay, I'm not the only one. I feel so much better now. When God was calling me to be a pastor, I was full of buts. But I'm not a very good public speaker. But my faith isn't deep enough. But my girlfriend Donna, she really does not want to be a pastor's wife. Besides, how could I uproot my family every few years and and move from church to church, as I know our pastors do in our Methodist system? but I want to make more money than that. But I'm not old enough, but I'm not gifted with administration, but I'm not good at praying, but I don't really want to work on Sundays. But what about my modeling career? But what about the millions of dollars I would make in the NBA with my amazing jump shot? Okay, those last two were made up. But you get the idea... Have you ever made excuses like that before? God, I can't possibly do that. I don't have enough time, but but I'm not a leader. But what will my family think? But how will I pay the bills if I do that? And our list of buts goes on and on and on. Welcome to the fourth Sunday of our sermon series we're calling Dare to Dream. The goal of this series is for you to discover a God-sized mission for your life. And by the end of this month, you are going to have actually written out a life mission statement for yourself based on the kinds of things that we are studying together in God's holy scriptures. And this is the week we get honest about our excuses. And I know the temptation, the temptation is for us to just check out of this series, assume it is for someone else, not me, and say to the person in in the pew next to you, hey, would you just wake me up when it's October, and if I can just make it through September somehow, you know, my fingers in the ears, la, 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 I don't have to listen to this. And we have excuses, right? We say, oh, I'm too young. You know, I could never make a difference. I'm too young. Can I tell you something? When God called Mary to give birth to the Savior of the world, she was a teenager? Or you say, oh, I'm too old. You know, my life is basically over. I'm retired. I can't do anything else to contribute to God's kingdom. Can I tell you something? When God called Moses to go and confront Pharaoh, he was 80 years old. He was 80 years old. 
See, the problem with our excuses is that they cause us to settle. Excuses cause us to settle for something less than what God can do in our lives. Because excuses assume that this is really all dependent on us, when in reality, it's actually dependent on God. The problem with excuses is they seem to suggest that we need to be qualified for the mission. Now please understand this. If your mission is something that you are already qualified for, then it's too small. If you're only willing to commit to the things that you can accomplish on your own, then you have not discovered God's dream for your life just yet. The problem with excuses is that they sell God short and they fool us into thinking that this is all there is, that everything I've seen and experienced in life, that must be all there is. My family and I went to the mall in Virginia Beach this summer, and here's a picture of uh, my son Luke um, standing next to uh, one of those rides. I don't know if you know those rides they have at the mall, uh, those rides they used to have out front of Kmart when I was a kid. And uh, you know the ones where you drop in a quarter and, and your kid gets to sit in a spaceship or a race car and um, for about 30 seconds he gets to move back and forth like this. And you know, the kid thinks it's awesome, right? They're, Daddy, please, please. And usually the answer is no. But Daddy, please, please, can I ride it? And the child is sort of momentarily entertained um, and then the, the, the quarter runs out and you get off and everybody goes home. Uh, I want you to take a closer look at this, and I don't know if you'll be able to see it in here. Uh, I want you to read what this says. It says, for the ride of your life. Seriously. For the ride of your life. 25 cents is all it takes, apparently. I mean, who are they kidding? I know advertisers, they're trying hard, you know, to get your money from you. But come on, for the ride of your life? And you know what occurred to me when I saw this? This is a metaphor for the safe Christian life. Most of us in this room, at some point in our lives, we made a commitment to follow Jesus. For some of us, that was recently. For some of us, it was a long time ago. And we've been living for Jesus. And we've been telling ourselves, this is the ride of my life. But really, our lives are still pretty safe and predictable, and easy. When's the last time you took a risk for Jesus? When's the last time you did something unsafe or scary because your faith compelled you to? My friends, don't settle. Don't settle. There is so much more to life with Jesus than what we had previously imagined. There is so much more to life with God. And so let's take Moses' story as an example. Last week we talked about Moses and his burning bush moment. He had a vision from God, an encounter with the living Lord, and God called Moses to this mission. He said, leave Midian, go to Egypt, confront Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh, let my people go and lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the freedom of the promised land. Except that Moses didn't think that was possible. Look with me at Exodus 3, verse 11. But, God, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? 
In other words, I'm not qualified, God. It's just little old me. You know, Pharaoh will never listen to me. Have you ever said that to God before? <laughs> Who, me? You don't want me. I'm not fit for this. I'm, I'm not cut out for this kind of work. And this kind of excuse neglects the gift that God has already given us to do the work that God is calling us to. One of you shared a great quotation with me this week thinking about this temptation to suggest that there's nothing we can do for God. My friend said, God is in control, yes. But just because God is in control doesn't mean He wants us to lean on our shovels and pray for a hole in the ground. Never say, who am I? God can't use me. Yes, God can use you. And God will use you if you let Him. That's why God called you. That's why God gives you these spiritual gifts. So Moses had an excuse, but God had a response. And one of the things I want you to notice about this very powerful story is that for every excuse Moses has, God has a promise in return. God has some assurance of God's grace for Moses and in turn for us. And so Moses said, but who am I? And God responded, I will be with you. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship me on this mountain. Worship will be a sign that this is what I am doing, God says. And never forget, I am with you. I'm with you. But Moses, of course, has a whole list of excuses. That was just the first one. The second one comes in verse 13. Look with me at verse 13. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? Moses was pointing to his theological shortcomings. He was spiritually inadequate. And you know, it's easy for us to forget that Moses was not always a close companion of God. We think of Moses as one of the giants, right? One of the heroes of our faith. But remember, for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he was exposed to the paganism of Egypt. And for the second 40 years of his life, he was immersed in the polytheism of the Midianite culture. And so up to that point, up to his 80th birthday, he had believed that there were many gods and there were many ways of thinking about God in the world. And so his question is literally asking, which one are you? Which God is this that is talking to me right now? I've studied all these different gods. Who are you? What can I tell them is your name? Moses had a huge theological deficit. As your pastor, I, I hear this kind of fear and uncertainty all the time, especially when we invite you to get into a life group and people say, oh, that sounds great. I would love to, but I don't know the Bible well enough to be in a life group. And I'm just so afraid if I sit in that room with other people, they're going to know so much more about the Scriptures and I'll be found out. They'll realize what an amateur I am. They'll realize I, I don't know the Bible. Can I, can I tell you something, my friends? Ministry has been my life's work for something like 14 years and I'm still not an expert. All of us are on the journey. All of us are on the way. 
Notice how God responds to Moses. Look at the next verse, Exodus 3.14. God said, I am who I am. I am who I am. In other words, Moses, I am enough. I am enough for you. In the whole universe that exists, God is the one who has been from the beginning and who is now and who is to come. So even when we feel like we're not enough, God is. And even when we don't understand, God does. And even when we can't see the future, God can. To find Moses' third excuse, you have to flip over into chapter 4. So I want you to notice, by the way, this is now two full chapters that encompass the excuses of Moses and him trying to convince God that God has the wrong guy for the job. Look with me at Exodus 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but they say, The Lord did not appear to you. This is the classic. They'll never believe me. These people know me. I have no credibility with them. Some of us have a reputation to live down, don't we? Perhaps we've made spiritual commitments in the past and others have become cynical about those commitments that we've made. Others are skeptical. But my friends, don't listen to the skeptics. A lot of the times they are wrong. Check this out. I wonder if you know who Lucille Ball is. Lucille Ball, the world-famous actor. If you've never heard of her, ask your parents or your grandparents, they'll tell you. Well, the head instructor of an acting school once told Lucille Ball, sweetheart, try another profession. He was wrong, wasn't he? I wonder if you've ever heard of a little band from Liverpool called the Beatles. Ever heard of them? Yes? Okay. They interviewed with one record company, and the record company turned them down. And they said, we don't like their sound. Groups of guitars are on their way out. My friends, don't listen to the skeptics. Don't listen to the critics. Instead, listen to the God who loves you. Moses made this excuse. They'll never believe me. And so God provided a sign. God turned Moses' staff into a snake and then back into a staff again. God is saying, we are in this together I will demonstrate my power, but you, Moses, have to trust me. You have to trust me. Now look with me at Moses' fourth excuse, Exodus 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I have never been eloquent, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. In other words, God, I'm afraid to talk in front of other people. I'm not good at talking in front of people. I will never forget when I was in first grade, Mrs. Paul's class in Chesapeake Elementary School in Chesapeake, Ohio, and I wrote a poem. And like a fool, I walked up to her desk and I shared it with her. And she thought it was great. And she said, Brad, oh, you've got to share this with the other students. And so somehow I agreed to that. And so I stood up in front of not just my classroom, but all of the students in the first grade assembly because she had asked me to share my poem and I will never forget standing in front of that microphone and shaking with fear because I had to talk in front of all of my peers. Fast forward about 20 years, God called me to be a preacher. And when I began to hear that call, I remembered 
that experience in first grade, standing there and shaking physically in front of all of those other first graders because I was afraid and I said, God, I'm not good at talking in front of other people. Now again, God responds with a word of grace. Listen to what God says in chapter 4, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? My friends, never forget, it is God who gives us the ability to say what we need to say, even when we are afraid. So I wonder, do many of these excuses sound familiar to you? They're familiar to me. We all make excuses, don't we? And I want you to notice something about the excuses that Moses had. They were all true. Every one of them. They were all true. What Moses said was right. He was unqualified. He was spiritually unfit. He did lack credibility. He was afraid. And so it's not as if Moses is lying or making stuff up, but he was relying too much on his own ability and not enough on the power of God. And notice this, in spite of all of Moses' shortcomings, God called him anyway. God called him anyway. God knew that Moses was unqualified. God knew that Moses was unfit. God knew that Moses was afraid and still God wanted him for the mission. My friends, this is grace. This is the extraordinary grace of the God who loves us. That where we would see limits, God would see opportunities. Remember, for every excuse that Moses made, God made a promise to help him. And when we give excuses, God gives God's reassurance. Moses said, I'm not qualified. And God said, I'll be with you. And Moses said, who, who am I supposed to say that sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. And Moses said, they'll never believe me. And God said, here's a sign to prove that this is for real. And Moses said, but I'm not good at this. And God said, don't forget, it's me who is working through you. I want you to take a moment right now, pull out your Connections Journal, and look with me at Wednesday. On Wednesday, we want you to consider a few questions. Reflect on these as you discover God's mission for your life. Number one, what tightly held excuses keep me from living God's dream? Number two, what criticisms from others have held me back? Number three, what promises from God do I have to assure me of God's call? My friends, your answers to these questions will help you to discover and to articulate a God-sized mission for your life. And since I'm asking you to do this, I want you to know that this is something I am also working on I've actually been working on this for the past several years of my life. And as a way to encourage you and to kind of give you some idea of what I'm talking about, let me share with you my own life mission statement in the hopes that it will help you write your own life mission statement. So this is mine. My life mission is to be a faithful and loving husband and father to help local churches in conflict and decline to turn around and be transformed for effective ministry and to equip 
clergy and laypersons to lead disciples of Jesus in mission to the world. Now that's my mission. That's my call from God. What is yours? What is your mission that God is laying on your heart? I hope by now that you are coming to see that God's call is usually to do something difficult. God-sized dreams are hard to accomplish. They may even seem impossible, and that's why we call them dreams, right? If they were easy to accomplish, somebody else would have already done it. And yet God is calling you now to do what may seem impossible. My friends, Jesus is here this morning, and He is recruiting for the mission. He is recruiting for the mission, but here's the thing. He's not looking for people of great ability and he's not so much worried about intelligence, and he certainly doesn't care whether we have been a member of this church for 50 years or five minutes. What he's looking for is people of courage. Jesus is looking for some men and women who are willing to take a risk with their lives for the sake of the gospel. I want to leave you this morning with a video clip. This is a video clip of an actor named Jim Carrey. He's best known for movies like The Truman Show and Horton Hears a Who and my personal favorite, Ace Ventura. What you may not know about Jim Carrey is his story. When he was 12 years old, his father lost his job and his family had no income and so they lost their house. They, they were homeless. They actually lived in a van on the street for some time and Jim, uh, at age 12, would leave school in the afternoon and he would go to a factory and work an eight-hour shift in order to provide money to support his family. Of course, now he's rich and famous and he's a movie star. But this clip is from a commencement address he gave at Maharishi University in Iowa. And here he is reflecting on the choices that his father made back when he was a child. Here's the clip for you. You can spend your whole life imagining ghosts, worrying about the pathway to the future, but all there will ever be is what's happening here and the decisions we make in this moment which are based in either love or fear. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. What we really want seems impossibly out of reach and ridiculous to expect, so we never dare to ask the universe for it. I'm saying I'm the proof that you can ask the universe for it. Please. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job. And our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Fear disguised as practicality. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? We tell ourselves that the thing God is calling us to, it's not practical, it's not reasonable, it's not socially acceptable. But Jim Carrey is right on this point. We can fail at doing the thing that we don't want to do. So why not take a chance? Why not take a risk at doing the thing that we love 
doing the thing that is our passion that God has laid on our hearts. My friends, why not pursue the big dream? Let me disabuse you of the notion that you shouldn't try at something unless you know what the outcome will be. God is not asking you to guarantee success. God is only asking us to say yes. God is only asking for our willingness, for our courage. The problem with excuses is they suggest that somehow we are responsible, that we are the ones to make the big things happen. Oh, but I can't do that, we say. Well, of course you can't, but God can't. 